kind of a quick word for Adam and Lauren. Jeremy mentioned that he's an incoming freshman at Purdue. Don't let one good communion meditation fool you. He needs Christ. Um, every penny in that can is going to need to be dedicated to Jeremy. So, um, you know, in all seriousness, with Jeremy gone, I don't know who I'm going to pick on. Um, I do think Patrick Britting shows great potential. Um, so, so we'll we'll see. So, in late 2017, uh, and then of course early this year as well. Uh, I started putting together this year's preaching calendar, as Joshua mentioned. And, of course, unexpected changes can always occur, but more often than not, planning ahead is a really good use of time, including when you work at a church. So I got to work thinking and praying about who was going to preach when, what books of the Bible we'd read to get a healthy and balanced diet of God's word, and then what handful of topical subjects it would be wise and beneficial to address. But then when I hit 48 Sundays, 48 Sundays all worked out, I ran into a wall. Some would call it writer's block. I had the calendar filled except for four weeks in the summer. So after banging my head against the wall for a little bit, I saw some feedback. So I asked the elders, I asked Zach and Mark and Nancy, I asked our small group and many of you about what sermons might be helpful for you. What sermons have you not heard? What books have you not heard addressed? What topics would you like to learn more about? And the sermon series before you is what I, or maybe more accurately, we came up with. So I've affectionately dubbed these next four weeks as a grab bag of unexpected sermons. The four topics that we'll discuss in the month of August are our bodies, our minds, the transgender movement, and the Me Too movement. Now you hear these things, and these might seem disconnected, they might seem random, but they may have more things leaking them together than you initially think. And in one way or another, each of us already has been, or someday will be, affected by these things. Many of them are sensitive, many of them are controversial in their own unique ways, And they each occupy quite a bit of space in our national conversation. They take up a lot of time on the news and newspapers and on social media. All kinds of debates rage. And because these issues are on so many people's minds, I think we as Christians, whether we like it or not, whether we're comfortable with it or not, need to wrestle with them. The church's job and our job as individual believers is to promote and preserve scriptural truths about God, our world, and humanity. Thus, we must be informed and we must be prepared to see how our faith may affirm or reject whatever movements, whatever teachings come along in our day and age now and in the future. Now, originally, this first topic, today's topic, was supposed to be on what scripture says about physical health. However, slowly but surely, as I prepared, it became a sermon about a much broader topic. And that's why we're referring it, referring to it as a theology of our bodies. Now, we'll only scratch the surface this morning. I'm not going to attempt to cover in one 30 minute sermon the things that theologians and scholars, pastors and popes have written about and debated as far back as you look. But here's the core question I want to ask today. 
Do our physical bodies matter to God? Do our physical bodies matter to God? And if so, how should we as followers of Christ understand them, treat them, and use them? It's a question worth asking. So open up to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Feel free to use our Bibles and take a Bible home with you if you don't own one. But before we read, let's pray together as a church. Father, again, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have together to worship you, uh, to spend time together as brothers and sisters in Christ, to see old faces to catch up with and new faces to meet for the first time. Uh, Father, thank you for Sunday morning. And thank you for the privilege and the joy of preaching your word and reading your word together as a church. I pray that you would use your word uh, to shape our hearts and shape our minds how you see fit. And Father, I pray that you'd be with everyone here this morning, that we would be attentive and focused, uh, and that even for just a few minutes uh, in your word, we can truly focus on you and uh, allow you to challenge us in the ways that you need to challenge us, allow you to encourage us in the ways that we need to be encouraged, um, inspire us and uplift us and remind us of things that are good and things that are beautiful and things that are true. We love you. We thank you for Christ who died on the cross for our sins and rose from the grave. We ask this all in his name. Amen. Well, starting with Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock. And over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now jump forward to chapter 2, verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land. And no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. And there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Now jump forward one more time to verse 21. This is after God creates Adam. After Adam realizes that he needs a companion, the animals weren't good enough. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. When God created our physical world, which we read about in Genesis 1 and 2, he declared everything he made to be good. And that especially includes the first human bodies belonging to Adam and Eve. 
Adam was created from the good ground, and Eve was created from the good Adam. And when Adam first meets Eve, he praises the work of God's hand. He agrees with what God has already said, that this world and our bodies, his creation, they are all good. And we even see the physical relationship between Adam and Eve stressed. He says that she is bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh. You don't get much more physical than that. And then Genesis tells us that when a man and woman come together in marriage, they become one flesh. So the first idea of this sermon sounds pretty simple. Our physical world and our physical bodies are good creations of God. Our physical world and our physical bodies are good creations of God. But as simple as that sounds, believe it or not, this doesn't go without saying. One of the most enduring philosophies in human history is known as Gnosticism. Now, you may have never heard that word before, Gnosticism, but you may be a little bit of a Gnostic yourself without realizing it. Gnosticism is the idea that our physical world, and more specifically our physical bodies, are inherently evil, and they must be escaped. What really matters most is our soul, which is just trapped inside the prison of our flesh and bones. Some of the most consistent and dedicated Gnostics would say that the only true escape is death. And others would say that you should seek some mystical, spiritual, higher plane of existence. And whether we realize it or not, the false teachings of Gnosticism have often managed to sneak their way into Christian theology and even into Christian churches, even though it was one of the earliest heresies that Christians fought against. You see hints of Gnosticism in some of the extreme early Christian ascetics. Those people who believe that by punishing and neglecting their physical bodies, they would automatically become more holy. You can picture those Christians of old who would go out and live in the wilderness and not eat and not drink for days and days and days and beat themselves up because they thought it would make them more like Christ. That looks like Gnosticism. You can even see a little bit of Gnosticism in the idea that our eternal hope is leaving our bodies behind forever and floating up into the sky as disembodied souls. We see a little bit of Gnosticism in the idea that when Christians die, we leave our bodies behind to become angels, even though that isn't really taught in Scripture. The point is that the Bible rejects the idea that our physical world and our physical bodies are inherently evil or inherently bad. From the very beginning of the book, we see that the world God created and the bodies that he gives us were good, not some horrible prison to be escaped from. Now, however, with all that being said, it is true that our world and our bodies are fallen. Because after the goodness of creation in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we get to the fall of Genesis 3. Because of Adam and Eve's sin in the Garden of Eden, when they listened to Satan rather than God, our world and our bodies are fallen, tainted and corrupted by sin. We're out of the original harmony that we had with creation itself. 
the harmony we had with each other, ourselves, and worst of all, the harmony that we had with God. As a result of their sin, Eve's body will hurt when she gives birth. The ground will be difficult for Adam to tend and to manage. The good world that God made and the bodies that he gave us are fallen due to sin. Creation is subject to decay and disaster and destruction. Our bodies will weaken and hurt and age and eventually die. We're separated from the God who created us. And one day our physical bodies will give out on us. And we will return to the dust that Adam came from. But while scripture does teach that our world and our bodies are fallen... It doesn't teach that they need to be escaped. It doesn't teach that they need to be left behind. Scripture teaches that they need to be rescued. They need to be redeemed. They need to be reunited to God. And we see how God does that in John chapter 1 verse 14. We read there about Christ. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That phrase in the first part of the verse, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, referring to Jesus' incarnation. That may be the single greatest argument that our world and our bodies matter to God. Because Jesus put on a physical body and entered our physical world. To rescue it and redeem it. And the physical nature of Christ is stressed over and over and over in the New Testament. We see it in passages like John chapter 20, starting in verse 24. This is after the resurrection, after Jesus has appeared to some of his disciples. We read there. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. In that conversation between Jesus and Thomas, Thomas thinks about it and says, you know, it's just impossible for a dead man to rise from the grave. If I'm going to believe this, I need physical proof. I want to see the scars. I want to see the cut in his side. I want to touch it. And I want to know for sure that this is real. Because this doesn't make sense. I want physical proof. And that's exactly what Jesus gives him. Thomas can see him. Thomas can touch him. And he can know that Jesus rose from the grave bodily and that Jesus wasn't just some illusion. He wasn't just some ghost risen from the grave floating around. 
He was a real man who was once dead, but is now alive. John makes the same emphasis in 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. John stresses, we can see him. We can touch him. We've heard him. Jesus is really alive. He came in the flesh and he rose in the flesh. Later in the same book, John will even go so far as to say in chapter 4, verse 2, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Over and over and over in the New Testament, we see Jesus' body emphasized. That he rose from the grave physically. And because Christ came in the incarnation, and because of his bodily death and his bodily resurrection... We look forward to a bodily resurrection of our own. We look forward to the day when this fallen world will be rescued and redeemed and made new. We look forward to the day when our fallen bodies will be rescued, redeemed, resurrected, and made new as well. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 6 verse 5 that if we have been united with Christ in a death like his... We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Your body matters. Because even after you die, your body will come back to life if you believe in Christ. We have the hope of the resurrection. That is the hope that we've had since that day when Jesus rose from the grave himself. That is the hope that Thomas had when he placed his fingers in those scars. When he saw the cut in Jesus' side, Thomas could look at Christ and say, you know, if God can resurrect him, God can resurrect me by faith in him. That is what we believe. That is what Christians have always believed. That is our hope and that is our confidence. And our bodies matter. Now, what will those new bodies be like? Paul addresses that question in 1 Corinthians. He says that our new bodies will be physical, but they will be different. They'll be physical, but they'll be untouched by sin and corruption and death. The things that we've gotten so used to in this fallen world. They'll be physical, but they'll be fully empowered by the spirit. That is an incredible hope. That is an incredible promise for us to look forward to. But then as if that's not good enough. We don't just have to look forward to the future as to why our bodies matter in our faith. We have wonderful news right now. Because even as we live in these fallen bodies, even as we weaken, even as we get sore, even as we age, Scripture says we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Think about that. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul addresses believers who thought that because they were so spiritual, it didn't matter what they did with their bodies. 
They could commit any sin they wanted with their flesh as long as their soul was healthy. In other words, these people were Gnostics. But Scripture doesn't quite separate the two. Scripture doesn't quite separate our body and our soul the way the Corinthians would have liked. Scripture treats us as holistic beings, body and soul together. So Paul rejects the concept that our bodies don't really matter. And as long as our soul is right with God, we can do whatever we want. That is not the teaching of Scripture. And we see it summed up so well in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. If there's two verses that you take from the sermon, if there's one thing that you remember from the sermon, this is it. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. That's pretty amazing to think about, isn't it? That the Holy Spirit lives in you as a believer in Christ. And the Holy Spirit lives in me as a believer in Christ. Now, you could go to the hospital and you could get an x-ray or an MRI or a CAT scan or a PET scan or any other kind of scan that you can think of. And the Holy Spirit's not going to pop up. He's not going to be on the screen like an ultrasound. But he's there. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, think about the word temple. What do you picture when you hear temple? You might picture some massive, beautiful building with Massive pillars and incredible artwork and beautiful stained glass and high ceilings. Some incredible architecture that just leaves you breathless, just leaves you in awe. Well, Paul looks at your body and looks at my body as believers in Christ and says, you know, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. How amazing is that? It is truly incredible to think about. And it's safe to say that if our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit, then what we do with our bodies matters. So reviewing where we've been so far, our world and our bodies are created by God, and God called them good. But our world and our bodies are corrupted by sin and subject to the fall. Our world and our bodies can only be rescued and redeemed and reunited to God through Jesus Christ. The one man who lived in this world, in the flesh, never sinned, died sacrificially, rose victoriously, and one day will return. And it's because of him that we look forward to a resurrection of our own. An eternity with God and new bodies and a new creation. But then even now, at this very moment, Paul says that you as a believer, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So I think it's safe to say that our bodies matter to God. And as we seek to apply what that means to us, a few points to consider. If our bodies matter so much to God, they should matter to us too. Now, I think you might know where this is going. If our bodies matter to God, they should matter to us too, meaning that we should take care of them. Carl is secretly applauding. He is secretly thrilled right now. The point is that God has given us the gift of life. 
And it's a gift that we all too easily take for granted. We should steward our bodies well, caring for them as the gift from God that they actually are. That means things like not overindulging in the things that God has given us to responsibly enjoy, but can also kill us if we lack self-control. That means taking advantage of the fact that we have more medical knowledge and more medical skill available to us than any generation before us. That means trying to exercise to the best of our abilities. That means not negligently or foolishly putting ourselves in positions of illness or injury or untimely death. If our bodies matter to God, they should matter to us as well. However, we should also be careful not to idolize our bodies, not to worship them. For many people, fitness and health and physical appearance are their gods, especially in the age of Instagram. Now, maybe this is because they don't believe in the one true God. And like Bob Dylan says, everybody's got to worship something. You got to serve something. They might think that this life is all that matters. And thus they're frantically trying to delay death as long as possible by keeping themselves healthy. Well, again, we should care for our bodies as a gift from God. We should treasure them as a gift from God. But they are nothing to worship, no matter what you look like. Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, 8, that bodily training is of some value, but godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Health and fitness and appearance will not save you in eternity. Faith in Christ will. So if our bodies matter to God, they should matter to us. But then another point to make is that the bodies of others should matter to us as well. If we believe that all people are created in God's image, like we read in Genesis 1, then their bodies should matter to us as well. That means we ought to care for the poor, people who lack the resources to care for the bodies that God has given them. We ought to care for the elderly, the mentally and physically handicapped. Those who may lack the same abilities that you and I have, but still have the same God-given dignity as anybody else. That means caring for the unborn, the most vulnerable image bearers that you can imagine. Every single one of these people matters to God, and they should matter to us as well. And then finally, one more point to make. As a person created by God, you matter to God. No matter what your body looks like. The world puts endless pressure on us to perform and produce and to look good doing it. But even if our world's value system tells you that you lack dignity, that you're worthless, that you're not good enough because of what you can do or how you look. Remember that you are created in the image of God. And your dignity does not come from how you look. Your dignity does not come from what you can do. Your dignity comes from the God who knitted you together in your mother's womb. No matter what you look like, you are not an accident. You are not a liability. You are not a burden. You are an image bearer of God. 
And for believers, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, you were bought with a price. You are not your own. Your body is not your own. You belong to the God who created you. The one who has rescued and redeemed you through the broken body and shed blood of his perfect son, Jesus Christ. Now as we close, I'd like to read from Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Paul says there, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I pray that we would offer up ourselves as a sacrifice to God. Every single piece of us, our hearts, our souls, our minds, our bodies. If you ever want examples of people who have done this, read about some of the early Christian martyrs. People who went through immense pain, immense suffering. People who literally gave up their bodies for the sake of Christ. Offered up their bodies as living sacrifices. They did that because they believed what we talked about earlier. That even though man can hurt the body, they cannot take us away from God in eternity. They might be able to kill us in this life, but they can't take us away from God in eternity. They can hurt us, they can harm us, but they can't change the fact that one day our bodies will rise from the grave because Christ's body rose from the grave. I pray that we would be more like them. May we thank God for the gift of life by recognizing that our lives belong to him. May we steward our bodies well to be used for his glory above everything else. May we remember that our bodies are nothing less than a temple of the Holy Spirit. May we value the others created in his image, even if their bodies don't look or work like ours. And may we be faithful until Christ returns. Remembering God's promise that one day these bodies will be raised. One day they'll be rescued and redeemed once and for all. And that we will be in the presence of God in eternity. That we will be able to look at Christ and do what Thomas did. We'll be able to see the scars in his hands. We'll be able to see the cut in his side. Because he rose from the grave. He is with God. And we too will rise from the grave. And we too will be with God. Our bodies matter to him. And they matter to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the classic Christian hope. The classic Christian promise from the day that Christ rose from the grave. That our bodies matter to you and they should matter to us. Father, thank you that at this very moment, even though our bodies are fallen, even though our bodies are imperfect and weak and aging and sore, even though we get sick, even though we get tired, even though we get diseases, even though we die, at this very moment, our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit and how awe-inspiring that is. 
And so, Father, knowing all these things, I pray that we would use our bodies in a way that glorifies you. Use our bodies to serve our neighbors, to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ, and to simply give you praise. Let us lift up our bodies as a worshipful sacrifice. I pray that we would give them to you the way Christ gave his body for us. Thank you for his broken body. Thank you for his shed blood. Thank you for the hope and the confidence and the promise that we have through him. We love you. We honor you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.